Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Pat Alcoholic. Hi, Pat. Good to see everybody. You know, we were, uh, we were talking about how long it takes to get down here, and I was whining about 33 miles, and Jason goes, I live in Alpine, so I got to be quiet. <laughs> I got to be quiet. Hey, if you have a big book, we're going to talk about a section in uh, We Agnostics that um, I've been asked about a little bit more often. It seems like whenever I'm working with sponsees, they inevitably get to a place where they start asking, how, Pat, how do you, how do you go and get an intimate relationship with God. You know, because what happens with, you know, with my sponsees when we're talking about stuff, you know, I, I break into prayer with these guys. You know, man, this is going on with my wife. This is going sideways. Okay, let's just pray about that real quick. And I'll just break out into prayer. We'll be talking about a different thing and they got something going on at the office. Let's pray about that for a second. And I find that when you don't make God strange and you make him familiar like you would a best friend, people start warming up the idea that they, could, they too could have a relationship, right? But I think um, if you think about the chapter We Agnostics, you know, it's, it's got bookends. The first, the first page of We Agnostics on page 44 is ask me really two questions. Pat, when you drink, can you control it? When you're not drinking, you control the stop. And if I'm answering no to both of those questions, the book tells me what? Probably an alcoholic. And then it spins from page 44 for the next 12 pages to try to convince me, but there's no other way to live, Pat, except by a spiritual basis of living. The next two par three paragraphs on page 44 are saying, you got to find a spiritual basis of living. You got to live on a spiritual basis. By the way, Pat, you got to live on a spiritual basis. And, I, you know, we think about it and said, lack of power, that's my dilemma. I, I got to find a way to live. You know, I got to find a power greater than me, obviously, but how? Well, that's the purpose of this book. We're going to show you exactly what we did. And, you know, in this whole picture that Bill is designing, you know, on, on page 29, it tells me the whole purpose of the stories. And it says the purpose of all the stories in the big book is how each person, how Jason, how David, how Pat, how uh, Oliver, how each one of us formed our relationship, relationship with God, not familiarity, not I think he exists, not maybe there's something bigger than me, but a vital, life-changing relationship, okay? That's the premise of the, of the stories. And so we get to we agnostics, and the first part of the book in is, Pat, are you one of us? You know, we've had 54 pages of talk about, are you one of us? Are you hopeless? Are you hopeless physically? Yeah, and we don't, I'm not going to go to all my story, but there's no doubt. Are you hopeless mentally? You couldn't stay away from it even if you tried. Yeah, that's true. Do you have this thing going off inside of you that's driving you back to the obsession all the time? In other words, a spiritual malady. I'm restless, I'm irritable, I'm discontent. I can't, I can't be satisfied. And you know what? The longer that we're sober, we dress it up. I dress it up. I don't make it as blunt as that anymore. Well, you know, things could be better, I guess, you know. And, well, you know, I'm a little bit upset about some things. But, you know, I just do an active 10-step about it. And all of a sudden, I start making it spiritual sounding. Does that make sense? And we, I start playing games with that stuff. And so the cool thing about the We Agnostics in this, this story we're going to read on the minister's son is that it breaks through all the nonsense and just cuts it right to the quick. 
and tells me what's up. And so the bookend on one side is, am I, am I an alcoholic? And the other side of the bookend on page 56 and 57 is the minister's son. The culmination of the entire chapter is all about one story, the minister's son. Why was that so doggone important? Why did, why did Bill spend a couple pages of the big book to talk about just one guy that they never even mentioned by name? Okay? His name is Fitz Mayo, and in the big book, the fourth edition, his story is on page 210. It's Our Southern Friend. That's the name of the story. Okay? And we're going to read a little bit of that tonight, not because I like reading all night long, but I think it's important. And so in between the two bookends are two questions, and we all know them, the cornerstone question. Am I willing to believe there's a power bigger than me? Yes or no? Something bigger than me. And I'm starting to be pushed into that because I got these bedevilments going on. I got this life that's not working even when I'm sober. Page 51's telling me why my life is so heavy going when I'm not even drinking. Can I relate to that? You know, Don Pritz says that sobriety without solution is cruelty. All right? And that makes sense to me because, you know what, you give me stone-cold sobriety without a solution and just put a fork in me, you know, just... You know, cut me off now. I don't want to live like that. And then the second question is towards, you know, a little bit farther down in the chapter, 53, it starts in 55, is um, is God everything or is God nothing? What's my choice? What's my choice? Is God everything in my finances? Is God everything in my relationships? Is God everything in my language? Is God everything in my dreams? Is God everything in my vision? Is God everything in every part of my life? And it's not, and the thing about the book, they're, they're saying, you know, we're not trying to pull a religious one-two punch on you here, Pat. It's just because we found that we couldn't live any other way. We had to have a vital relationship with God because our lives weren't making sense. We alcoholics and addicts seem to, torpedo and firebomb and tire fire our lives better than most. Would you guys agree? I mean, I, I, you know, every once in a while I'll run into somebody I haven't seen for 10 or 15 years and they knew me back in the day in Denver. They go, oh my God, you're, you're sober? You're alive? Right? You're alive? And they, and they don't even recognize, like, Pat, Pat Thebus, right? You know, do you guys, you used to live in Denver, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they don't even recognize you. That's the experience that we have in the sobriety. So now, if you got your big book, let's turn over to page 56. And I'll read part of that story to you. Because on page 55, one more setup. And on page 55, tell me if this is, ever happens to you. We see somebody's life change. They give credit to God for changing their life. And some little part inside of us, now we don't want to say it out loud because that would be rude. And we wouldn't look very spiritually minded if we did it. But we say, really? You're telling me it's God. Come on. Really? You're telling me that the reason that you're better, the reason that things are going better now is because God? Way to convince yourself. Page 55, it says, Yet this, we had, to, we had seen another kind of flight. This is the first full paragraph. Of spiritual, uh, spiritual liberation from this world. People who rose above their problems. They said, God made this possible, and we only smiled. We had seen spiritual release, but we liked to tell ourselves it wasn't true. 
Even if I don't have somebody else telling me it's not true, I tell myself it's not true. How many times do I go to God when I'm really down and out? Or do I go someplace else to try to get relief? Do I go someplace else to get a better answer? Do I go someplace else to find a solution? See, my experience with God is God will show up as soon as I make him my choice. Until I make God a cho- my only choice, God doesn't really show up in my life. It just doesn't happen. So then the next paragraph, it says, where am I going to find God? It says, inside of me is where I'm going to find God. Fundamentally, the idea of God is deep down inside me. And why does it get obscured? You know, we had talked about being blocked off from God. God is too big to be blocked off from anything. God's big. How big? Bigger than big, big. Okay? He doesn't get blocked off. We get blocked off. He's, he's right here right now. But we get sort of sideways. And it tells me exactly why I get sideways. It tells me calamity, bad events in life. The business went south. The relationship didn't work out. My health, I didn't want to get that report. Calamity in life. By pomp, <laughs> everything's going great. Thank you very much. My efforts, my way, my knowledge. Right, Oliver, can we can relate to that? Dude, we got it all going on. I'm going to give you a nod at night, God, because, you know, it's important to keep, you know, my, you know, keep the powder clean, dry, just in case there's something going on in the future. But I'm not really quite sure if you're the one that's making all this thing happen. I've been working pretty hard here, God, so I'm going to take the credit. Pump. <laughs> right? And then worship of other things. Guy, I get distracted. I get so distracted. It's easy for me to just, you know, get, you know, fight, you know, like a goldfish. I get the attention span of a goldfish. I got ADD anyway. But I mean, I'm telling you, I'm like a goldfish. And it's easy to get distracted. And I start to worship other things. It's the person. It's the job. It's the money. It's the power. It's the accolades. It's being a spiritual person. It's being Mr. AA, Mrs. AA, Mrs. BBA, whatever it is. We get distracted from actually having that relationship with God. And then it goes on and says, okay, so if that stuff's going on, this power that is trying to rescue me this entire time, in my experience, when I reflect on this in meditation, God's been always trying to rescue me. Every one of us got struck sober and we didn't have a thing to do with it. We're sober tonight. We didn't have anything to do with that. Do you think it's because we do such great step work that we know the book so well? It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with the quality of my sobriety. There's no doubt about it. And the, the depth of my relationship going forward with God. But it has nothing to do with the fact that when I came in here and God struck me stone cold sober in 2002, I had no knowledge of this big book. I had no knowledge of AA. I had no knowledge of God. I didn't want God. I was done with God. God and I were not on speaking terms, and I had this this anger and this arrogant contempt for God. And the minister's son had the same thing going on. That's why I, I like the story a lot. And then the third paragraph says, "You know what? Your experience, Pat, with God on page fifty-five is you're going to find God to be a friend." He's bigger than a friendship, so don't let me reduce God to just being a human friendship. That's not it. 
but he's familiar to me. He is intimate with me, and he's all about every aspect of my life, every detail of my life he cares about. And the more I start caring for God, you know how in the third step promises it starts saying that we're going to lose interest in ourselves and gain interest in our fellows? It's because that's the way God is. God is completely consumed with your best interest, Mike. Completely consumed, you know, Michael. Completely consumed with David. David, I, I, know when, I know when you go to bed. I know when you get up. I know how many heartbeats you're going to have today. I know how many thoughts you're going to have. I know how many breaths you're going to take. And every one of them, I've given you and I love you. There's nothing insignificant in your life. And see, that's how God views us. We're not insignificant. We're, we're his kids. He loves us. So this guy... He says, the great reality, we're going to find him deep down inside, but there's an attitude that we have, to, we have to get to if we're going to get unblocked from that ego, that pomp, that circumstance, that, that um, worship of other things, all the, all the calamities that go on in life. He says, Pat, you've got to put away your prejudice about spiritual things. You've got to let them be set aside. Set aside prayer. Pat, are you willing to call a spade a spade, to think honestly for maybe the first time in your life? It says here, we can only clear the ground a bit if your testimony uh, can um, help sweep away uh, any prejudice, enable you to think honestly, encourage you to search diligently within yourself. When I get honest with God, things start changing. And I was thinking about something that was going on in self-reliance and, and, and self-pity and all that kind of stuff that goes on. When I'm trying to change things in my life, nothing changes. Have you ever been down that road? You try 300 different directions to change the circumstance, and it just seems like it comes back, like a bad penny. And I'm finding that when I allow God to change me, Everything in my life is changed. You see the difference? When I try to change everything on self-sufficiency, self-reliance, ego, and pomp, nothing ever changes. I get bored. I don't like the results I get. I don't like what's going on. I can anticipate it. I can't anticipate it. I can't stand the pressure. I can't. It, it never turns out. But when I finally say, God, I want to live your way, pray for the knowledge of your will and the power to carry it out, step 11 kind of stuff, what I find is that God starts working in every room in my house, in my inner heart, and starts changing things from the inside out. And what ends up happening is I'm a changed person. I have a vital experience. I have a complete, entire psychic change, and everything's different. No, I still go to the same job. The reason I left in the meditation is because one of my coworkers, who I, he's, he works for me, he's called me, he had an emergency situation going on. It had nothing to do with work. And he's calling, he's calling me at 7.30 at night. Not a bad deal, right? So our lives take on new meaning. So can you guys bear with me? Do minister son, you ready? Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. So the minister's son, our southern friend is a guy named Fitz Mayo. And here's his background. He's a, his dad's a, an Episcopal minister. Page 210, you can check out the facts after the fact, okay? He's an Episcopal minister rural kind of minister going from here to there, horse and buggy kind of stuff back in the day. 
And he attended church school where he had, a re, uh, had become rebellious at what he thought was an overdose, a religious education. I get rebellious with God when I have too much knowledge and not enough action. When I take in too much truth and I don't put it in my life. I was talking to a sponsee on the way down and he, he's got some challenges. He's got a challenge that's been the same challenge for about the last five, six months. And it's pretty clear what God would have him do and he just doesn't want to do it. And I love the guy and he's great and he's recovered. But he's, he's just bowing his neck on this one issue. And so he's, he gets grumpy about stuff, right? Can I relate? Yeah. See, when I have truth given to me by God in meditation and prayer and by seeking you people out and saying, here's what my situation is, what do you think? And you guys tell me honestly what you think in, from a prayerful position. I go, wow, that's really good. I had to do that. And then I go home and I don't do it. I wonder why I start getting bored with God. I wonder why God starts getting stale. I wonder why my relationship isn't moving forward and my life seems to suck. That's why. God's a God of action. If he shows me something, he wants me to take action. He wants me to move. And so this guy says, here's his life, here's his life up to this point. For years thereafter, he's dogged by trouble, frustration, business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide, calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him post-war disillusionment even more serious alcoholism impending mental and physical collapse brought him to the point of self-destruction pat speaking to myself when i'm in self-reliance it's going to end up in self-destruction it's just a fact I could be self-reliant in a relationship. I could be self-reliant around my money. It could be self-reliant around my physical health. I am not one for doctors. I'm the first. It's it's hard for me to go to doctors. And you know, I, I for about the last I don't know two or three years, you know, I I have like a precancerous condition from all my drinking, like Barrett's esophagus. So I always have to get that thing checked, right? You have to get the polyps taken out, and you got to do all the stuff you're supposed to do. I hate, I don't know what it is. I hate going to the dang doctor. God, you know, in meditation from time to time, Pat, make an appointment. Good idea, God, make an appointment. Ooh, that looks very spiritual on the journal today. Make an appointment. And I forget about it. I'm looking at my journal from like two months, three months ago. I go, oh, geez, there's no mark next to it. Check the box. I did it. Sorry, God. Okay, I'm hearing it. I'm going to do it. Um, one night... So this is a crazy part of the story, this next paragraph. He has a 12-step call pulled on him. He's in the hospital. His alcoholism has gotten to the place where he's, there's no more outs. He's done. He's in the hospital. He's in a rehab unit. And he gets a 12-step call. And they don't tell you who the source of the 12-step call is. It's a fellow patient that had just relapsed who's now back in the facility. The 12-step call is by a patient in the facility, not some spiritual giant, not a Bill and Bob walking in the, in the room. It's a guy that's not getting it done and not, not finding relief, basically not doing the deal. But he knows the truth. So he says to this guy, one night they're confined in a hospital and he's approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. The spiritual experience from this guy was he faced up to honesty in his life. And the reason he said he's back in the hospital is that he wouldn't get entirely honest with God. And he recognizes that now and he's changing his ways. 
He's detoxing. He's going through all the stuff. He's had the 12 steps. He's, he's just getting detox ready to go back to work. Getting honest. So I asked myself, how honest am I? How, how honest am I about all the stuff going on in my life? Am I willing to let God change me? I, honestly, am I willing to go to God and let God have input into my life and change my life? Or do I think my life still belongs to me? Not according to step three. I turned my will and my life or the care of God. Okay. Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out. Anybody been here? If there is a God, he hasn't done anything for me lately. He hasn't done anything for me at all. And so there's a story behind the story. Later on, alone in his room, he asked himself this question. Is it possible that all the religious people I've ever known, have I've known, are wrong? And while pondering that answer, he felt as though he had lived in hell. Then a thunderbolt and a great thought came to him, which cried out all else. Stop there for a second. What happened to him? He's, he's in the hospital, and this guy is 12-stepping him. And he's saying, are you willing to believe that there's a power greater than you? And he goes, yeah. Are you willing to call him God? He says, no. I believe in electricity. I believe in natural law. But I'm sort of done with God. God and I aren't speaking terms. I watched my dad with the God thing, so no, I'm not really doing it. He said, but are you willing to have a higher power? Yeah, I am. Okay? Then he says... If you're willing to have a higher power and do these steps, you're going to get well. And the guy basically said, now go away. I'm going to go read for the night. And so he's sitting in his room and he starts going, it can't be that simple. So he goes back to the guy and he says, how did you pull this off? How did you get such utter assurance? He said, do you believe in prayer? He says, I don't know. What do you mean? He said, well, I got a feeling that your prayer is sort of like this, sort of like a foxhole prayer. God, if you get me out of this scrape, I'll do anything. Anybody ever had that kind of prayer? What happens when he gets us out of the scrape? I do it again. I forget about God. I forget about God. I forget about God. The other part of the foxhole prayer is the other side. God, if you just get me out of this jam, if you save my family, if you save the business, if you did, 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 and you know what happens tragically, maybe not so tragically, God doesn't step in and the bad thing happens. And then what do we do? Well, in the story on our southern friend, he says, you know what you do, Fitz? You probably blame God. You tell God you're no good and I don't believe in you anymore because you didn't help me out. So either way, God is sort of damned. If you do get what you want, you ignore him. And if you don't get what you want, you blame him. Is that much a relationship with your best friend? It's not going to work out so well. So he's sitting there thinking about it. And he said, so what is it that this, this relationship should look like? And I'm, I'm fast track and we'll be done here in just about. Can I have five minutes? Is, are you sure? Okay. How does it, he, so this Fitz Mayo goes back to this guy. He says this. How does this prayer fit into this thing? In other words, you got all this faith and, and you turn your life over to God and, you know, God is going to be everything. And it says, well, he answers, you probably try praying like, like I have. When you've been in a jam, you said, God, please do this or that. And it turned out your way. That was the last of it. And if it didn't, you said, there isn't any God. And he doesn't do anything for me. Is that right? Fitz replies, yep. This isn't the way, the guy continued. The thing I do is this. 
I say, God, here I am. Here are all my troubles. I made a mess of things and I can't do anything about it. You take me and all my troubles and do anything you want with me. And the guy goes, does that answer your question? He said, yep, that answered my question. Yes, it does. I answered and I, went, I returned to bed. It doesn't make sense. And then suddenly I felt a wave of utter hopelessness sweep over me and I am at the bottom of hell. And there a tremendous hope is born and it might be true. I tumbled out of bed onto my knees and I know not what to say, but slowly a great peace comes over me. I feel lifted up. I believe in God. I crawl back in bed and I sleep like a baby. I sleep like a child. And what had happened to him right before that, why did he feel like he was in hell? I found myself thinking about myself. And I found that there was a few things that I wanted to forget in my life. Anybody ever have some guilt and some shame? It'll kill us. I began to see that I'm not the person I thought of myself. You ever look back at your life and go, man, I should be in a different place. This isn't where I should have been. I shouldn't have been here by this time in my life. And I judged myself by comparing myself to others. And I always see, I took myself to my own advantage. It was a shock. And basically what he's coming up to grips with is on his own efforts. Like we do this in the fifth step. Do I find it objectionable that I can't pull off living life successfully on my own power? My third column shows it all over the place when I get jammed up. I jam up in terms of my self-defeating beliefs and my security, my pride, my personal, my sexual relations, my self-esteem, my pocketbook. All that stuff gets sideways in my life, and I can't make it work out. So here's the point of the minister's son's story. He finishes it off. And it's one of those stories that's worth you know reflecting on. It really is. It's one of my favorite places in the big book. Thus was our, uh, so he says he, he, this was the account. He said he tumbled out of bed. This is page 56 and finishing off. He gets on his knees. In a few seconds, he is overwhelmed by the conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him with the certainty, the certainty and the majesty of a great tide of flood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. I don't sweep away my barriers to God. I bring my barriers to God. And I say, I've made a mess of it. You could do whatever you want to do with me, God, and my mess. Amen. Because I'm on a recording here, I'm not going to say exactly what my third set prayer was back in 2002, but it went something like this. God, I have so effed my life there is no way I could eff it any more than I have. If you want my effing life, you can have it. Amen. That was my prayer. That was my third step prayer for my heart. And I don't say the cuss words anymore, but at the time it said everything from the center of my heart. I was saying, God, I hate my life. I hate everything about what's going on. I can't stay sober. I make a train wreck of every relationship I've been. I can't figure this thing out. I can't figure you out. I can't figure me out. I am not figured. Will you please make a difference? Will you fix me from the inside out? And I believe sincerely that's what the third step's all about. I get to a place of honesty where I say I can't. 
And I, by the way, I get to that place in my life a lot of times in a lot of different places over the years. It doesn't happen just once. It happens over and over and over again because God is always bringing me to a new place, always taking me through that archway to freedom in new areas of my life. My friend's cornerstone was fixed in place. No later vicissitudes, that's hurdles in life, shook it. My alcoholic problem was taken away that very night. Save for a few brief temptations, the thought of drink has never returned. And at such times when it did return, seemingly I couldn't drink even if I would. God had restored me to sanity. The minister's son's deal simply ends with this. God has restored us. He said, what is this but a miracle of healing? From page 44, the miracle of healing started because I finally accept I'm going to live on a spiritual basis of life. By the way, this is step two stuff. This isn't step three stuff. This is step two stuff. How cool is that? Yet its elements are simple. Circumstances makes me willing to believe. I have no other choice. There's no other door. That's the way we alcoholics and addicts are. We don't come in easy. I humbly offer myself to my maker. My maker. Not some ever far off, distant, unambiguous God. My maker who knows me from the inside out. Every part of my DNA he designed. Every hair on my head, every breath I take, every heartbeat I have is a gift he made me. I get excited about that. Then Then I know. Even so, God has restored us all to our right minds. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Don't worry if it's not sudden. Mine wasn't sudden. There's a lot of people I know that have incredibly great relation with God, and it wasn't sudden. The point is, in step 10, are we willing to grow in understanding and effectiveness of this newfound spiritual realm that we live in? Spiritual realm, kingdom. There's a king, and it's not me. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grow into this more slowly. But he has come to all who have honestly sought him. When I draw near to God, God discloses God to me. I love this story. So anyway, I hope you guys got something out of that. Thank you. Hi, Arlene Alcoholic. Hi, Thank you for your share, Pat. I thought of, uh, thought of quite a few things. Um, uh, it's crazy how, how God just works in, in our lives once we, once we connect with him. Um, around the second or third step, I remember my cousin shared a post, uh, a pastor, I can't remember his name, young guy, um, and he was talking about uh, when God split the sea open for the Israelites to to get across. But he said something very important. Um, He said, you know, but God wasn't going to get them across because the power, the power is in your feet. So I, I thought of that, um, you know, actions, you, you got to take action or, or, or it's dead. Um, so that, <laughs> that took me back to, to when I was doing the, the second and third step. Um, 
And then I, I like listening to Joel Olstein. Um, and I, I remember my son gave me a ride to, to the Spanish meeting that I go to, AA meeting. And um, I had been listening to, to Joel Olstein and he said something else and, and you reminded me of that. Um, he's, he said, get off the throne. That's, that is not your throne. Get off the throne and put Christ back on the, put God back on the throne. Get off the throne. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and, and that really, you know, really stuck. Um, and, and I just saw, you know, my son had one of his friends that was going through a situation. And, and so I shared that, you know, and he was just kind of struck. And he's like, whoa, it's so funny that you would say that, Arlene. <laughs> And, um, and it's just so fascinating how once you start to really build a relationship with God, how he just comes in and, and works like exactly at the precise time. But, you know, it's, it's in the feet. And, and I never stop thinking about that. It's, it's in the feet because you actually have to do the work. And we're not perfect. Um, you know, we're church, we... That, that's another thing that has stuck. We have the tendency to run from God, but thank God he has a tendency to run to, you know, to run to us and, and remove things that don't need to be in our lives, even though sometimes those things we feel hurt because we're so used to them. Um, so it, it's just amazing. For me, it hasn't just been doing the steps, but like you said, building a relationship with my father again. Um, it, it, it's been amazing. It's really been amazing. Um, everything that happens uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And sometimes, you know, you get a little lazy here and there, but you can feel it right away. You know, when, when you get a little lazy and, and you don't really read the stuff or or don't take the time to like actually meditating and connect, you can start to feel it. And, um, and it's like, oh, well, I haven't, I haven't really talked, talked with my father, you know, I haven't really, you know, and then you kind of like get back into it and uh, different little things. Right now I'm trying to get a car, but um, I, I'm not stressed out about it. I haven't had a car practically since I started coming to the meetings. Um, which was another blessing because I probably, I had such bad codependency with, with a person that, you know, is on crystal meth and things were getting violent and he took, my car just, it just didn't, it turned off. It just turned off and never wanted to turn back on. And two days later, the person calls, it's like, well, I don't have a car. <laughs> I can't go all the way out to North Park. I don't have a car. Um, and so like, even in that case scenario, it worked out that I, I didn't have a way to go back and see this person anymore. Um, and you know, and, and it also worked out when I started coming to BBA. Um, I left the apartment where I was at roommating with my oldest daughter, me and my oldest daughter, man, we're, we're like accomplices instead of mother and daughter. And um, so we, we needed to part ways. And, and it was like the best thing that, that happened, even though it was, you know, kind of hard on me. But, but it was. Um, and so now I'm in an apartment where I live 
my, my son is my neighbor in that apartment. So that person can't come anywhere near my apartment complex because my son lives there. So and he knows my son hates him. So everything has worked out. And and even though at the time, you know, I felt heartbroken and whatnot, and because whatever, um, I I see how it's given me the time um, to just pay attention to this, to just pay attention to to rebuilding my relationship with with my creator. And, and to rebuild a relationship with me. Because obviously I'd been lost for a very long time. So thank you. I am David and I am an alcoholic. And Pat, thank you so very much, my friend. It's a pleasure to see you. Uh, I'm gonna tell you a little bit what happened to me about four and a half years ago, five years ago. Um, I, uh, like Pat said, you know, I don't have, I didn't have any relationship with God. Actually, I had to, I, 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 I avoid everything that had to do with God. And uh, I started uh, doing this um, BBA meetings for the first time. And uh, it was, I, I was doing everything else, service, meetings, you name it. I mean, I was willing to do everything in my power to get better because I, I was gonna definitely die if I didn't stop what I was doing. So anyway, I was sitting down in a chair with Patty sitting down right now, and uh, my uh, sponsor advised me to have an open mind and be willing. You know, I, I know a lot of you hear, hear, hear this story before, but uh, uh, Pat was in this microphone talking, okay? And I was sitting down over there with an open mind and, and willing, you know, to do everything that to, to, for me to, to have at least a life. You know, anyway, that day, you know, I was in a really, really, really dark place. Sad like a son of a bitch, angry like a son of a bitch. You know, my mind was just nothing. I had nothing left in my life. So anyway, I was listening to this man talk. I cannot remember if it was the second step or the, or the third step. So I was closing my eyes and I, was, I, I just listened to him, listened to him, listened to him. And all of a sudden, you know, this dark place started, you know, like a, like, like, like a rainbow. You know, it started to come in from one side to another, from dark to light, you know. And that is how my spiritual experience began. That is how, how my spiritual life begins. That day, I will never forget in my entire life. Because from then till now, I don't do anything without God. You know, my relationship with God is smiling in my, putting a smile in my face, putting a smile in my employees, putting a smile in my family, putting a smile in my friends. You know, because there is no better pleasure to have to have a relationship with God. You know, so so from that day on, uh, just in my daily living, you know, every day, you know, the first thing I I do, and I know that my day is gonna be okay. Just put my life in God's hands. You know, this Saturday passed. I have five banquets. 
and I only had three chairs. So I don't do banquets anymore, thanks to God, thanks to this program. You know, because life is much, much, much beautiful, easy, you know. So, so the, the owner asked me, what are you, you going to do? I said, do not worry. Nothing is going to happen. I do two banquets. And these two banquets are one hour apart. You know, and I didn't know how I was going to do this, but I know that I'm not alone. I know who's going to help me. You know, and I, don't, I didn't stress out at all. I was not even close to be stressed. I, had, I sent three, three banquets out, and the other one was across the street. We, we, you know, I, I, there was a banquet for the police. So anyway, by this time I'm working, you know, like 11 hours without a break. You know, and look at me, I'm an old man, let me tell you. <laughs> so anyway, these two people was helping me, and they asked me, Chef, are you ever stressed? I said, no, now. Chef, are you ever get tired? Are you tired? I said, no. And they asked me, how in the hell you're not tired if you're working 11 hours already without a break? And I told them, honestly, this, this doesn't come out of me. I, I told them it's because I'm not alone. They say, explain to me why you're not alone. <laughs> I said, I have somebody else helping me. <laughs> Honest to God. You know? And this is what happens in my life. Look, I'm not tired anymore. I wear like a horse still, you know, at 70 years old. You know? Why? Why? You know? You guys know why. <laughs> You know, I never separated myself since that day, Pat, from now until now, with my relationship with God. And you're a big, uh, you have a lot to do with this stuff. Thank you. I'm Jason, I'm an alcoholic. David, you're 70, man, you're looking good, brother. Uh, I just wanted to get up here and get honest. I, I, had, a, I had a crap day today. Uh, a rough one, um, and and I hit my knees this morning, and I did a you know I did the ten and eleven this morning, and uh, and I still had a crap day, real rough. Uh, but I didn't get high and I didn't get drunk today, um, so that's a plus. Uh, but you know, at one point I had had quite a bit of time. Uh, sober quite a bit I mean had a chunk of time for an alcoholic like me uh, not getting high and not getting drunk and um, and I let my spiritual program of action slowly diminish and then quickly diminish um, to a spiritual program of no action (laughs) no nothing Um, and and the results, the, the proof is in the pudding of what happens for me now uh, when I let that happen. Uh, and Pat, thank you so much. Um, you spoke to my heart. I mean, you were, you were looking at me, but you were speaking to my heart. At, um, you know, um, when you were talking about uh, the different ways that like creating like an image for ourselves, like I, I recognize I was doing that for many years, too is like, hey, I'm, I'm putting together this image of, of uh, clean and sober, got it all together, Jason, you know, great dad, you know, and I do all these great things. 
super exciting, um, but it's just like an illusion. Like, you know, what's going on in the inside is corroding, you know, uh, you know. And so uh, it occurred to me that all of that image doesn't mean shit. If, excuse my language, uh, if I'm, I mean, the image is fine, whatever, it's an image. But what's going on in the inside is way, way more important. And if I'm not getting honest about what's going on on the inside with people that know me and that I trust, uh, that will eventually crumble me and it'll crumble that image too. You know, and I, I called my sponsor today and just, I mean, I, it was one of those falling to my knees moments where I deliver food and I almost took the food and just twice today. <laughs> Almost just slapped it on their door. Just, I don't mean slapped it. I just, almost just t- tossed it on the doorstep. <laughs> Pouring down rain. Stuff was all over me. But I got it delivered. And I, I knew. Like the, that little dinger, that little red alert bell was going off in my head. Like this is an emergency. I am pissed. Like I'm just, this is not good. And then I called my sponsor, and, and um, he reminded me it's pretty normal to get pissed off, you know, but holding on to it and stuffing it or redirecting it at other people that don't deserve it, like my wife and my daughter, that's not right. So um, I guess I did something right today uh, and then took uh, a, a, the suggestion to come here, which I didn't want to come here. I wanted to go home, you know, but... <laughs> I, I know that what I want is not always what's rare. It's actually rarely what keeps me sane. If I follow what I want all the time, it's rarely what gets me sane. It's when I do the things that I don't immediately want to do that makes the light bulbs turn back on. So that's why I'm here. Anyways, thanks for letting me share. <laughs> Thank you. Luis, alcoholic. That was a great share. You know, I've never read The Minister's Son, or it's been so long that I see it, that I, it was new to me. So thank you, Pat. Thank you for just making the trek and being here with us tonight. Um, but I relate so much to it because before I got here, um, this was my attitude. If there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. You know, um, I had walked away from God when I was nine years old because I blamed him for something that happened to me. And I just been uh, on my own ever since until I hit bottom. And I got on my knees eight years ago and, and I asked him to help me get to an AA meeting. And yet when I got here, I still had that same attitude, which was not him. Like, give me the chip. Show me what I need to do, but I, not him. I don't. I'm. I don't want to do that. Um, and I imagine that if you're here, some of us are here tonight have had that same uh, attitude, that same prejudice and bias, because of you know something that happened when we were younger. And um, but the text, you know, I wrote here, "Voice of God, ten twenty eighteen on this book. I have like four of these big books, so. I got one that I actually have never done any step work with it that's got like little bookmarkers, but the rest of them are like a mess. But this one, it says, uh, who are you to say there is no God? And that's what it comes down to, right? Um, Because 
that's the big question. Who am I? And I need a higher power. And the step, um, this like you pointed out, this is just right before step three. So I need to change my mind and believe. Believe that, that this God that you guys are telling me about actually cares. That he's always been there and that he's got a good plan for me. Someone mentioned about the Israelites in Egypt. You know, it was God bringing them to the promised land. He opened up that, he opened up that ocean and then later he opens up the river so they can come to it we and it's like you pointed out we have to take these steps out of hell and towards that promised land towards these promises and so um you know and and here's what happens if you've had that encounter with god there's no going back like david pointed out there is no going back you can't put that back in the bottle you've had it you could try to deny it but you've experienced it and if and if we do what we says which is continue to deepen that relationship make it more intimate right for me it started with like hp higher power the group and then you know uh god and today i call him papa but if you've had that encounter then it's it the book tells us all the way tell the world of the treasure you found tell the world of that miracle healing that this minister's son's talking about tell the world of how you were blind and now you can see tell the world of the power and the love that you've received of the mercy and the grace don't keep it to yourself give it away and then help others as it says like and I'll bring us back to 153. Then you will know what it means to give of yourself that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. I, I came in here chasing pleasure. I hit bottom and, and I found purpose. And that's what drives my life today. And so I'm just very grateful, Pat, for you coming in. And what a great story. Thank you. My name is Oliver and I'm an alcoholic. And Pat, that was a pleasure, man. I love you, Shares. And I love you, man. You have so much God in you, man. I need a lot of that every day. And um, you know the yeah, yeah, God, I've been I've been doing a lot of work with, with people on the sixth and the seventh step. Okay. Because everything that you said, I mean it's so true, but what do you do when the shit hits the fan, you know? And it's very easy to say here, yeah, let's accept God and this, that, and the other. When, when you truly feel like a piece of shit, that the world is not going your way, that the plan of God is not even close of what you desire, right? <laughs> and then they tell you it's the will of God, and you go, come on, man, is this shit for real? And you know, I have come to learn that it is for real. And, and the, the hard part about a spirituality in my life, the hard part about God's plan in my life sometimes, is that my plans are not his plans sometimes, right? So that's when I bitch and I complain. My life is miserable, man. I live in my head. I live in my thoughts. I live in my power. And everything is sour. My day sucks. It's just horrible. It's a horrible way to live. But I'm human and I still do it sometimes, you know? 
So I've been talking to, I talked to a guy today that he called me from I don't know where and he says that he needed a sponsor, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't, I really don't want to work with this guy, man. So what I told him, I said, give me three days, like, please show me, let me pray and we'll, we'll, we'll check out on it. So I prayed and prayed and God told me, just take this guy on. So he tells me today, well, I'm in my sixth and seventh step and I've been working with my sponsor. And I said, you see, that's a problem right there. You don't work the sixth and seventh step. They work you. So I said, how am I going to explain to this guy what I, so this is what I believe in, in AA. And sometimes I, I come up here to the podium to remind myself. The God of AA, my God of AA is magical. It is magical. It's voodoo shit. It does work in my life. It's Chichen Shan stuff. Things just all of a sudden appear, man. Out of nowhere. If I don't believe in a God like that, for me, you see, I would always question, is it him or is it me? Do I really get this because I work really hard? I mean, of course I feel great. I'm sponsoring 25 Son of Guns, right? Or I do a workshop and everybody's telling me how great I am. Of course I feel great, but it's all on me. You see? So it's, it's my humanity here for me. I have the big shot syndrome, man. I have had that since I was a kid. This stuff goes my way, man. My ego, my head just gets this big this fast. It's just, it's just easy. It comes natural to me. You know, give me authority. I know how to tell people what to do. I don't have a problem with that. I love that. So I have to be very careful about that, right? So today, I mean, I don't... Today my life has taken such a turn, such a gigantic turn, that some, when, I, when I get with the program what I truly accept what is, which I think that's where the trick is for me, what's God's will, what's happening in my life, it's as simple as that, there's nothing else. Why? Because it's happening in your life, period. It's up to me to accept it or not. If I don't accept it, I'm going to fight with it all day long and I'm going to try really hard to change it and guess what? It won't change because has, God has to do its magic. So that's the best way that I can explain the sixth and seventh step with people that I work. You give it away, man, and it gets changed for you. When? I don't have a clue, brother, but it will. I mean, I tried for 47 years of my life to change it, right? On my own. I tried really hard, man. I tried really hard, man. I believed my own bullshit. And I remember telling stories that I knew they were false, but after telling them for 10 years, I couldn't remember if they were true or false. I mean, I was really good at fooling myself. I was called a manipulator, but not only of you, of myself. I believed my own bullshit. That's how good I was. So today, I mean, to live in the grace of God, it's been the hardest thing that I have done. To me, this stuff didn't come easy, man. It's really hard. You know, I worked really hard all my life and shit happened. So all of a sudden they're telling me, Oliver, now your life's no longer yours and you have to give it up and, and not to be worried about money and career and what do I have to do to be happy? I and mean, it was very hard. It was very, very, very hard. And guess what? Today, sometimes a bitch and complain, sometimes. And I have accepted today that that's my humanity. And that will leave me when I'm dead. Right? Because I am not God. I can only have a relationship with God. And with this, I will close. What you said, it was so powerful. And what you said that I thought it was very powerful is a relationship with my God. Which is way bigger than saying God exists or I believe in God. 
or God's will. I mean, to truly sit down and have a relationship with your Father, with your God, with your Creator, it's big, man. And to thank Him for everything that is going on in my life is beautiful. So thank you, Pat. I, I love you, Share so with man. All right. I'm Jason. I'm a recovered drug addict now caught. Hi, Jason. Thanks, Pat. It was awesome. Um, I would say, you know, I was just thinking, uh, when you mentioned the working the steps isn't what keeps me sober. God struck me sober. Like that was really powerful to me. Um, and then I started thinking about what the steps have done for me in life. And, and I was thinking about, um, how in my fifth step, it says that I begin to have a spiritual experience. And I was, uh, I was contemplating that today and, and reflect on my experience. And then how in the 10th step, it says we begin to feel the power flow in, right? And so, you know, I, I don't know, man. God, God is, um, like I listen to Jay say, but when he does what he wants, it doesn't work. Like today, I can honestly stand here and say, like when I wake up in the morning, I want to meditate. I want to pray. I want to open the book. I, I wake up and that it is, it is a desire from my spirit that is so powerful that it's been such a change in my life, like such a change in my life. Um, what I found is that through the power of God in my life, not only can I remain sober, but I can actually be of real help to people. You see, I've always thought that I was helping people. I'm a big shot too, Oliver. Like that's, that's me and I have been, you know, and I've got all this stuff in my life to prove it. But the truth is that after I look at the bedevilments and I go through my, my really go through my first step and I go through my second step, I understand that I've never been able, I've never been of real help to people. And uh, working with another alcoholic or drug addict, I can see that I can't. And it's, it is so awesome. You know, it's so, I had a guy who's in the fourth step, right? And he didn't, we've been meeting for three and a half months. And he texts me and he's like, you know, I'm over this book work. I'm like, okay. You know, and I talked to, to my sponsor about what do I do? And um, he's like, well, I'll reach out to him three times, you know. And then, and then I start reading chapter seven and I talk back to my sponsor like, hey, I, this tells me not to reach out to him at all. Like if he doesn't want to do it, this is not for me to try and persuade him whatsoever. And maybe I have made a friend. That's what I was thinking. I was driving down here reach out to him and say, hey, man, you know, maybe I made a friend. Leave it at that. Within 24 hours, see, because my triangle, I'm like, oh, no, what's happening? Shoot. Another guy asked me to help him. Guy from the online meeting. 24 hours. The power of God in my life. The trust in God and, and to witness that. I went to Disneyland, stayed in a hotel. My wife drinks. My wife gets high. My kid drinks. I'm there with my grandkids and my kids and my daughter-in-law and my wife and you know what, the power of God. And I was safe, I was protected, I was neutral. I was able to come home sober, sober. Never have I ever been able to do that. In fact, my last relapse was going to the Super Bowl in my ninth step here in Big Book Awakening, right? Because I couldn't do it. And to recognize that, and, and, and the second step that you're talking about, the simple attitude that you brought up. Being around you guys, we, ne we never apologize for our God. 
That's why I love coming here on Monday night. We never apologize. And I've been working consciously and praying about to ask God to allow me to not be ashamed to talk to people about it. Just like you were saying, I got help, you know. I've been working on my guys at work, but I mean, I'm a contractor. And those guys going to look at you like you're really crazy. Like, dude, Jason, come on. You know, I've been watching you. You've been working hard. You've done this. And, and the truth is that I have done it, but through God's grace and God's power and God's purpose in my life. You know, not like I haven't done any of it. That's not true. We have to use our feet. We got to take the action. So that, that simple attitude you guys encouraging me has really helped me. Thinking honestly has really, really helped me. And being removed of prejudice. Um, biggest prejudice that I know everything and you guys know nothing. That's something that, you know, that I, you can't teach me anything. So being removed of that. Another thing in the second step that, that I'm sitting there thinking of is you're talking about this power of God in your life is that this realm of the spirit is broad and roomy and open to all men. But there is a requirement. Earnestly seek. Earnestly seek. So I ask myself, how am I doing that? What does that look like in my life? You know, um, Am I willing to pray over dinner when no one else wants to? You know what I mean? Am I willing to share my experience with God in my life when people don't believe, you know? Um, and, and the last thing at the end of that story that you read and we transcribed that God will reveal himself to me the more I reveal myself to me. So through the step process, I have been able to reveal myself to me and that's all that matters. And, and, and after that, God's been revealing himself to me on a daily basis, which is super powerful. So just grateful to be sober. And thanks, man. Awesome. Hey, this is Eastlake BBA, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you. We hope this builds your faith. Enjoy the message. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe at eastlakebba.com. You can also help us reach others by spreading the word about our podcast. Thank you for joining us today on the East Lake Big Book Awakening Podcast.